I'm so glad to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. I have quite a riddle for you about a way you can save on your groceries without even changing where you shop or what you buy. That's coming up. Later, though, I want to talk to you about how monopoly power companies are trying to block you from cheaper power and more reliable power in state after state around the country. Why? Because they're afraid. And coming up yet later, a lot of people over the years have followed my guidance to say CID, where you sign your name on the back of a credit card, sign your name and then put next to it CID. Well, let me tell you why that is going the way of the dodo bird. I want to talk right now about that riddle. I said, what if you could save money on your groceries and not change anything you do right now? All you need to do is live in the right area where the German supermarket Lidl, L-I-D-L, has decided to open up. Lidl terrifies, along with their arch-rival Aldi, these two supermarkets terrify everybody in the food business far, far more than Amazon. And in fact, the supermarket chains are so afraid that a study done at University of North Carolina finds that when a Lidl opens in a city, the grocery prices overall drop by 9% in the market at the other stores. That's how great of an effect they have. If you've shopped in an Aldi, you kind of get the idea. You go into an Aldi, they have one of everything. You want ketchup, they got one. You want mustard, they got one. You want milk, you got one brand to pick from in each style. Organic milk, almond milk, which actually isn't really milk, is it? Whole milk, 2% milk, skim milk, one of each, everything. And then they sell the daylights out of those items, out of their very small stores, and you pay 40% less effectively than you would at a traditional market. Well, Lidl, coming in the United States now from the Virginias to Georgia and ultimately sweeping across the United States, Lidl is much more a cross between Trader Joe's and Aldi. They built fancier stores, about 50% bigger than an Aldi, more like the size of a Trader Joe's, and they sell everything so dirt cheap, just like Aldi. But the traditional supermarkets cannot compete. They can't compete. Because from the ground up, these stores are built to be pleasant, the Lidl's, built to be pleasant, and everything is done in a way where they hold their overhead so low, they're able to give you such low prices. Aldi has had to respond. And the new Aldi stores being built are much fancier and larger than a traditional Aldi. Because they've had to compete against Lidl all over the world. 
and they know what a competitive threat they are. If you notice, we this year, it's the first year in a number of years, we're looking at some food inflation. And if that starts to pinch you, try these alternates because they could save you so much money. But the great news, from Virginia to Georgia, Alito opens near you, and you're going to save money even if you never grace their doors. Linda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Linda. How are you? Hello. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Linda, how can I be of service to you? Well, I'm wondering if the way the stock market's been going, if it's a good thing to uh, do some investing in silver bars. Well, I should tell you, buying silver or gold is not investing. It's kind of it's what's referred to in the investment world as a hedge. It's like um, if you're really worried that the world's falling apart, that's when people tend to buy silver or gold. Okay. Now, gold and silver can prove to be very, very extreme in their price movements. And, you know, silver today is uh, less than a third of the value that it had just a few years ago. Okay. It goes up, down, up, down. Over the last year, silver is down a little less than 10%, but in the last few months, it's gone up 10%. So as people get worried, the value of something like silver or gold goes up. When they're not worried, the value goes down. So right now, there's a little more worry, which is why it's gone up, roughly 10% in the last little while. So here's my thing. I have no problem with you, Linda, wanting to own some silver or gold. Is like um, is like a, a reverse play against other things. But it should never be more than 10% of what you have available to invest. Okay. What do you do right now to invest? Uh, I'm, we've been working with an investment counselor. Uh, most of our money is in mutual funds, uh, three main funds. Okay. Our families of funds. And then I had some money in a money market, which has been earning virtually nothing. And I wondered if uh, the silver bars would be a good uh, safe investment. Uh, I have questions, I guess, about paper money being worth nothing eventually yeah i i think you have to have either a country that's run by a quasi-communist dictatorship like venezuela to destroy money okay or you have to have nuclear war or you have to have uh just absolutely horrific circumstances like a catastrophic natural disaster to destroy the value of money in a developed country like us. I don't, you know, I know there was a lot of worry about the dollar back during 07, 08, 09. Mm -hmm. And we came through that just fine. And the dollars ended up a lot stronger even than it was when we went into the financial crisis. So I wouldn't buy silver or gold for that reason. I think you have to have really dark worries about the world before you put too much emphasis on owning precious metals. Okay. And there are people who disagree with me on that, but 
you know, I'm an innate natural optimist. And I, I always look at us as humans being so resilient in overcoming dark times. And that's why uh, silver and gold are not things that I get involved in. Gigi's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gigi. How are you? Fine. How are you, Clark? Great. You have a question for me about, is it a child or grandchild? It would be my grandchild, yes, sir. How can I be of service? Um, I, uh, I will be getting some insurance money through his uh, company, and the uh, dollar amount doubled uh, due to the accident accidental death policy. And um, I'm just wondering what it would be the best way to invest that money for her long term. I did go and meet with a financial advisor yesterday. It would be a commission type situation where they take 5% off the top at $30,000. And if I was to put in $25,000, it would be 5.75% off the top. Ooh. And every year after that, anywhere from 05 to 0.75%. Okay. All right. So if, if I followed this, you got proceeds from a life insurance policy because uh, a, a child died, and so this is money for the benefit of a grandchild? Is that? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. So, but you personally were the name beneficiary in yes. the life insurance? Yes, sir. I'm so sorry you lost a child, by the way. Thank you. He was was 25. 20. I'm very, very sorry. Very sorry. So you now are looking after the granddaughter. No, I do not have custody of her. She is with her mother. They were not married. Okay. So this is money that is your money to use as you see fit, but your intention is to use it ultimately for the benefit of the granddaughter. Yes. Okay. So the total amount of money is how much from the insurance? Fifty. $50,000. All right. And you're going to get that 50000 tax-free? Um, I do believe so, yes, sir. All right. So are you employed right now yourself or are you retired? I am, I am employed right now, and I have a 401k. All right. The gentleman that I uh, spoke with yesterday is with American. Well, well that's not important. The thing, the thing I would like for you to look at doing mm-hmm. is, since this is money that could be used by you, or ultimately you would like it for benefit of your granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Do you have a Roth IRA? No, I do not. I have a four hundred one. All right. I want you to open a Roth IRA. In each year over the next decade, I want you to move $5,500 into that Roth IRA. I want you to get this money where it's completely in a tax-free account. And the Roth provides you the ability to do that. And the money, while it sits and waits to go into the Roth year by year. Have you filed last year's tax return yet? No. So you can immediately put 5500 of it aside for last year, 5500 forward for this year, unless you're past age 50. I am past age 50. Then you can do 6500 each year instantly. So uh, more than 25% of this money you can put into a Roth immediately. Okay. 
So you would want to put it there. And then the other 37,000 over the next several years, you just keep putting 6,500 of it in there. And you'll have all that money in there in roughly five years' time. Am I right? Yeah, five, six years' time. And it will grow tax-free moving forward, and you'll be able to distribute it as you need tax-free for the benefit of your granddaughter in the future. So there'll be no tax on any of the earnings at all. Okay. And I would like you to sit down with someone at the company Charles Schwab and get advice from a Charles Schwab investment person where you'll pay no commissions on doing the process that I talked about. And remember, you got to do it before you file your return for last year. And another thing you could do is you could talk with someone by phone with Vanguard. But I think if your investment knowledge isn't very strong, go sit down with a Charles Schwab person and then you'll be able to do everything I'm talking about commission-free. And again, I'm really sorry about the loss of your son. I love the state of Idaho, but I am frustrated as could be by the power regulators in the state of Idaho that are trying to crush lower prices on energy and destroy competition for getting energy to your home or business simply to protect embedded monopolies. It's today's Clark Rage. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rage's moment. So what's going on in Idaho is in many ways similar to a disease we have across the United States. We are a free enterprise society. We benefit from vigorous competition. But in state after state, the most powerful entity in the state is the power monopoly in that state. They give lots of money to politicians. They take good care of them. And then the politicians, at every turn, eliminate any threat of competition that would serve the people of that state. In Idaho, there's a company at its own risk that wants to come in and spend $200 million on a battery storage technology that would provide affordable backup power to people in the state. But the monopolies don't want it. And so the regulators are like, okay, we're not going to allow it. In the state of Georgia, the monopoly power provider there is in the midst of building a disastrous nuclear plant. Actually, two new reactors. They're over budget to a point that it's going to cost a minimum $25 billion to build them. And it will produce the most expensive kilowatts of power ever in the United States, it looks like. The power company, every dollar of cost overrun they have on the plant, gets an additional 12% profit on every dollar they run over. There's no business case for building the plant other than the monopoly wants it and the regulators do what the power company wants. We in the country need to follow Texas. 
Texas has completely deregulated its power in the United States and has done an amazing thing. They've cleaned the air in the largest Texas cities by using more clean power from solar and wind than anywhere else in the country. And the cost of power to people's homes and businesses has fallen by half in the last several years. Why? Because of unleashing competition. If we in the United States are going to be able to compete against company, countries around the world, one of the things we got to get right in America is that we don't protect special interests, but instead serve the needs of the people and companies across this great land. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. You can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. What a major change is happening. And so many longtime listeners to my show years ago adopted a practice when you got a credit card in the mail of putting on it, typically with a permanent marker, CID, and then next to in that space, signing your name. Because you didn't want a criminal who somehow came upon your card, maybe you left it somewhere, they stole it, not having your driver's license, being able to use that card. But in reality, that became ineffective starting really about a decade ago when at more and more retailers and restaurants, you don't hand your card over anymore. You put it in a card reader at your side of a register. The cashier or the person at the restaurant, whatever, they never actually see your card anymore. They never see the back of it anymore. So starting this spring, you will no longer have to sign a credit card slip. CID will no longer be of any value to you because nobody's ever going to see the card and the retailers, the restaurateurs, the banks, the credit card companies have decided that the signature didn't matter anyway. You may have heard I started several years ago signing my name when I had to sign my name is that of a variety of former presidents. I don't know the name of all presidents. I, I'm long from elementary school. So I try to assign different names all the time. Lately, I've been signing Ulysses Grant when I've been signing credit cards. Nobody ever notices. Nobody ever says anything. So as much as we've tried to be a line of defense in preventing credit card fraud, it didn't happen anymore. It didn't work anymore. And so don't be shocked when you run your card and your card's approved, your receipt's handed to you, and you're gone because the signature pad, it's pretty much over. Roy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Roy, how are you today? Well, I've been better. <laughs> well, let's see if I can make you better. What's the scoop? Well, in a nutshell, 
approximately uh, seven years ago, I was in need of uh, some extra money. I had a relative who was um, doing some buying and selling and different things like that on eBay and various other places. And um, he got me started in that, and I started doing it for a little bit at a time, and uh, it started generating an increasing amount of money over the years to the point where um, it's been you know substantial now. But in the past, where I had the first, we'll say 2010, 11, those years were small amounts, and I did not disclose that on my on my IRS form. And now I have not filed since 2012 because of that, because of the increase. You were so worried uh, about what they might do to you about 10 and 11 that you just didn't file. Well, no, not that, because... Um, but, I mean, it, it is on my mind now. I, I do want to clear it up. But what's happened is now that the increase in this business is the problem is I have not kept records. So I now had grossed $55,000 in this business, and I have virtually no records of buying and selling the items nor the mileage that was put on the cars or any of the deductible items. So basically what I'm confronted with is, you know, if you want to come clean, I, how do you do it and not overpay? Because exactly. you can the fifty five can be documented as gross revenue, but obviously that's not your net profit. You have a lot of expenses you can offset against it, but you didn't keep records that would make that easy. Correct. And Are, so now uh, one of the questions I had also was that I hear all the time these tax consultant groups. Oh, and I oh, did contact man. one. Oh, oh, do not talk to those people. Please tell me you didn't send money to any of them. I did. Oh, how much of your money did they steal from you? Uh, the initial fee was twenty five hundred. Oh, I'm and, so uh, glad. I thought you were going to say twenty five thousand based on other calls I've no. had. And uh, no, twenty five hundred, and uh, you know, a, a four hundred dollar a month, um, you know, fee processing. Fee right, those those people year. are just ripping you off. Okay, so stop immediately. Yeah, they haven't done anything for you other than take your twenty five hundred and four hundred a month, right? Correct. Yeah. So there, there is not. I know the ads make it seem so like this is like a perfect tidy bow. You. You go to them, they take care of everything, and it, and they're going to be your hero and all that. Forget it. The way okay. this really plays is more, um, let's call it blocking and tackling. It's more fundamental what needs to happen. So okay. the right thing to do is go to either uh, an enrolled agent who's someone who is enrolled with the IRS to handle tax matters for small businesses and for individuals, or go to a CPA who does tax. Okay. And what they will do as best they can, and in your case, you'd probably be better suited with a CPA, is they will okay. do uh, a modified version of what's known as forensic accounting, where they will do estimates as best they can based on a series of questions they'll run through with you to come up with a profit and loss for each year for the business. Okay. Because without that, you're left exposed because, again, as things stand right now, the IRS only has the gross revenue to go by, but your right. actual net profit would be a tiny portion 
of that gross revenue. Yes. And that's where the CPA enters the picture. I got you. And the sooner you do that, and there's nothing that someone from one of those ripoff companies could do for you without doing this step first anyway. Uh, Because you've got to have some kind of facsimile of what expenses were as an offset against gross revenue. I see. Now, in the case where I'm not going to have the ability to pay the taxes on these. Yeah. So first, what? All problem. right. So we'll deal one step at a time. So first, what happens is you have to get the picture in place. What is the actual number you owe? And it's likely to be less than you think. Okay. And then once the accountant says, okay, we're ready, we're going to approach the IRS, here's what we're filing with them, and you file for a payment plan. Okay. The IRS is difficult to deal with if you try to hide, and they're just bureaucratic slow when you come out of the cold. Okay. So I would not... If you've been losing sleep or feeling anxious about that, this, put it aside. Okay. And know that you're going to feel so Good. much better once you start dealing with it. Exactly. And that's, yeah, that's understood. And uh, certainly that's what I'm looking forward to. And, um, but I, as far as those two years that I did not declare, it might Those may not even come up as an issue because you filed returns those years. Okay. Right? Yes. But you but I just but I the business at the that point that, from your own telling the business in 10 and 11 was more a hobby than a business business. Yes, but it did generate, you know, maybe a few thousand dollars at Yeah, that so point. that that is insignificant in terms of the bigger picture in more recent years. Okay. So please don't fret about that at all. And let me hear back from you as you get in this process if you need more guidance, so you just need encouragement, Roy. Tyler is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tyler. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing, Clark? Great. So you have a two-year-old child. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> boy or girl? Uh, he is a boy. And how can I be of help with your son? So I thought it would be a good idea to get some kind of um, savings for him. And I went to go see my financial counselor, and they're like, oh, you should probably take out a life insurance policy on them. You mean that your two-year-old would own a life insurance policy? um, It would be, he would be a beneficiary, but I own it. Okay, so it would be on your life, not his. I'm sorry, it would be on his life, son. Okay. I thought that's where you were going with this. Now, if you don't like hearing your money blow up that way, I can play something else instead. No, I don't like it either way. <laughs> okay. So there, the purpose of life insurance is replacement of income. Mm-hmm. Now, unless your two-year-old son is really different than my kids, <laughs> he's a cost center, not a revenue producer. Okay. So well, That was a bad idea. <laughs> so you having life insurance on your life, on his mom's life, life that absolutely makes sense but Mm -hmm. having life insurance on his life does not make sense now i will always have insurance people say well what happens if your two-year-old son later develops some kind of illness or whatever that would prevent him from buying life insurance 
you can't prevent every possibility in life, but it's a terribly inefficient use of money to buy life insurance on a child because you're buying insurance on someone who does not produce income that would provide for you in the event of something tragic happening to him. Okay. So you would not want to buy life insurance on a child. And I, I don't know that I've heard a circumstance yet in 29 years on the air where I would say, yeah, I guess in that case it would make sense to have a life insurance policy on a child. So, so if you were thinking about how you're best going to provide for your child, what kind of things are you looking to take care of for your two-year-old son? Um, I was mainly thinking about later down the life, um, if he wants to go to college, he can have money for it. Or if he needs to get a car, there would be set-aside money for it. Um, so just savings or a college fund, honestly. So if college is what your goal is, and in your family is the culture that the odds that he's going to go to college are very, very high? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if it is, then doing what's known as a 529 account, where you can set up a tax-free account that all the money in it and all its earnings are tax-free for college, and depending on your state of residence, you may also get a state tax benefit simply for putting money into the account that's allowed to go grow tax-free and be spent tax-free. Okay. That's where money should should go. There's another more esoteric strategy I recommend where you instead establish your own Roth IRA, if you're familiar with the Roth. Yes. And you fund it. And then you can use the money for your kid's college or for your needs later in life either way. But both would be vastly superior to doing something highly inefficient like a life insurance policy. But there's still a penalty if you do take out money out of your Roth, correct? No, not. No, see, that's the trick with the Roth. As long as you only take out your contributions and always leave the earnings in, you can pull mm-hmm. your contributions out at any time tax and penalty free. Wow. Oh, so okay. it's kind of a, a loophole as a great way to have more flexibility with tax-free money. But on Clark.com, you can see how I would say to set up a Roth. And you can also look, if you prefer, at my 529 plan guide where I walk you through how to buy one, which plans you should buy, and be friends with that financial person all day long but don't buy that insurance policy from them jim joins us on the clark howard show jim you have a doozy of a problem because people don't know they should trust you is that true yes that's true clark what's going on jim our primary residence is in wisconsin and we are snowbirds and we winter down in the state of new mexico and we live in a rural area, and uh, the post office will not deliver mail to our home. So because of that, they have to provide us with a free post office box at the post office. So we drive. Oh, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> so we drive into town and pick up our mail. Now, I've never had a problem until uh, just recently. We've, you know, UPS delivers to us and FedEx delivers to us. But my address down here is, I have a street address and a post office box. 
And uh, twice now in the last week, I have been unable to make an online purchase because they say they won't deliver to a post office box. Now, one company suggested I go to the USPS website and verify my address. If I put my street address in first and then the post office box, the, that that website will not find my address. But if I put in the post office box first and then the street address, it's there. It's verified. But apparently, these a lot of these new new companies are, you know, if if you have a PO box in they're your terrified. Address, you, they won't verify. Yeah, they won't verify because they're terrified because the amount of fraud, particularly smaller Internet sales organizations, get mm-hmm. eaten up by the fraudsters. Okay. And so a post office box for them is an automatic trigger. So I have a question for you. Are there any private mailing things like a, like a UPS store or anything like that in the town where you go pick up your mail? I'm afraid not. There might be something besides that. But, uh, you know, when we have to go shopping, if we want to go to the, any of the larger stores, we have to drive a 150-mile round trip to do that. So a lot of Internet merchants will sell to you. It's just some you want to buy from, they don't want you. Yes. Okay, so if they're small ones, you know what I do? I'd send an email to the CEO or call and try to talk to the CEO. Not the toll-free number. Call the real number Okay. for that online merchant because they're in business to make money. They All want right. to sell to you. <laughs> it's just their systems are set up to ferret you out because they're worried you're going to cheat them. Yeah. Well, cheaters don't call up and say, please let me buy from you. <laughs> yeah, one of the items I, I tried to buy uh, uh, last week was uh, an antique, and there was only one available. And I had it in my cart, but they wouldn't let me <laughs> check out and buy it, so I lost it. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so with <laughs> those smaller smaller online sellers, you know, it could be a, a five- or ten-person company. Just, mm-hmm, sure. just call up and talk to the owner. Don't call toll-free. Find their real number. Call them. Okay. Remember, somebody who's just trying to steal isn't going to do that. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.